So last week, um, Kip spoke on the beginning of 1 Peter 2, or I guess the section immediately before me, submit yourself, uh, verse 13, for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. And, um, I mean, everyone loved it. Everyone uniformly agreed with everything that was said, and that was awesome. Uh, what, what Kip took on was probably what is our churches, not just our churches, but the churches, um, primary sin when it comes to submitting and respecting authorities over us, and that is mockery of them, uh, caricatures of the other side. And by the way, um, every side does it. I don't know how many political sides there are, uh, but every political side does the same thing, and we mock um, our leaders, which is in direct uh, opposition to what scripture says here. So he made the point that we need to be living as model citizens, living so well, such good lives among those who don't know Christ that if they were to try to bring an accusation of lawlessness against us, uh, it would fail. Um, so that's what he spoke about, and, um, and it was, I thought it was uh, spot on. So if you haven't heard that, if you wonder why you're not going to like my message, uh, go ahead and watch his first. Uh, because we are bucking up against our natural uh, desire for freedom. All right, we are picking up in 1 Peter 2, 18. So turn there if you haven't already. Welcome to you here this morning, um, and welcome to those of you who are joining us online. Um, good to be with you virtually. Peter now turns from talking to everyone about all authorities to a special relationship that was prevalent in the early church, and that is slaves and masters. So we're going to pick up at uh, verse 18. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. And by the way, this section that we're going to look at this morning is, again, pretty self-explanatory. Kip's message, the text that he worked from, was not hard to understand. It was hard to put into practice. It was hard to take in. Uh, and there are a lot of questions about, well, how do we apply this? And the same sort of confusion uh, or questions are going to be with this message today as well. So I encourage you to stick with me. Um, and if you find yourself uh, rebelling, just give me time to make the case that I think Peter is making. So Peter begins, he says to the slaves among them, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect. Um, that word respect in the Greek is a word fear. And this is important. I know that some of you are like, man, every week he just talks about Greek. He talks about Greek. But it's because it matters. It's the language in which the New Testament was given. And the authors are making points that sometimes we miss in English. So in the previous passage, uh, Kip concluded with that we are supposed to, verse 17, show proper respect to everyone, love the brotherhood of believers, fear God, and honor the king. And so that word fear um, with, re with relationship to God means to be afraid of. And we have very good reason to be afraid of God because he is holy, he hates sin, he's going to destroy sin, he knows our hearts. And for that reason, uh, in our natural state, we have very good reason to be afraid of God. 
Um, God has, in his great kindness, provided a way that we can move from fear to love. And John said, love drives out fear. And so I'm not saying that we should stay in a situation of fearing Yahweh, but that's where we start. And it is a good reminder of who he is and who we are. Um, And then it's a beautiful thing that he makes a way for us to love and be loved by him. So why, why do I bring that back up? Because the slaves are told to submit to their masters with fear. At least twice in Peter, he's going to set up a a God-man relationship, and then he's going to say, oh, by the way, there's another relationship that is very similar to that. So in 17, he sets up the God-man relationship that we are to fear God, and then in 18, he says to the slaves, you are in a God-man sort of relationship. The master is the representative of God, and you are to fear him. Now, it isn't a one-for-one. It's a broken situation, right? That is a broken relationship of God-man. But that's where the slave finds him or herself. And so they are to treat um, that master with that level of fear. Not only those who are good and considerate, which is probably far easier, right? If the slave would have had a master who was kind, who was understanding, who understood that he could only get as much or she could only get as much work done as they were able to do within a certain amount of time, it would be somewhat easy to live within that but also to those who are harsh. Also to those who are crooked. To those who are broken in their thinking. So Paul is, or Peter is calling them, whenever you're in the New Testament, you just think you're with Paul. Uh, So Peter is telling them that they need to submit, they need to um, do good, there we go, regardless It doesn't matter if the person is good and kind and a Christian maybe even, or whether they are uh, whimsically evil. That doesn't matter. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? If you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called. Why should they choose to submit regardless? It isn't right. It isn't fair. Where is their inalienable rights granted by their creator? Peter says to them, to this you were called. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Why? (laughs) Why submit regardless? Why do good regardless? And the answer is that they were called to that, and they were given the example of Jesus. Verse 22, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. And your Bible probably has some kind of subscript or a note or an indicator that says, hey, that's from the Old Testament. Where could it possibly be from? Any guesses? All right, it's Isaiah 53. Good guess, smart crowd. All right, so let's turn over there. 
and we are going to quickly move through this passage, but that's important because when an author in the New Testament references an Old Testament passage, they almost never mean just that verse. They mean the context in which that verse is found. And so Peter's going to make his point um, about the way the slave is to act based on the way the Messiah act. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of Yahweh been revealed? He grew up like a tender shoot. He was like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. The Messiah, the servant, was going to be undesirable to look at. Like one, uh, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows and yet... We considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought peace to us was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, each turned to his own way, and Yahweh has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Amen. The single most unjust activity in human history is prophesied here and was carried out by Jesus at the cross. Peter is helping the slaves to understand what Jesus did for them. He is helping to set their perspective. And I don't know what you're suffering, if you're suffering any injustice or any persecution of any kind, but if you are, it pales in comparison to what Jesus endured. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. I'm just saying that it is small compared to Jesus. Because you and I were the wandering sheep whose sins caused him to die. And then we get the benefits. Verse 7, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and a sheep, as a sheep is silent before his shearers, uh, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of, li of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Part of understanding persecution and suffering is the next verse. Yet it was Yahweh's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. You're saying God causes it? He wills it? That doesn't make any sense. Well, I'm reading the Bible. And though Yahweh makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of Yahweh will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. If you recall, Jesus did not stay in the grave. He was raised triumphant, and, and he didn't die another normal death on earth. He was raised 
lifted up into heaven and seated at a seat of authority beside his father. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. We are plunging into what C.S. Lewis calls the deep magic. I cannot explain to you the nature of suffering and its benefit and what God's going to do with it, but I can tell you that Messiah, Jesus, the Son, has already walked that path in front of us and set an example for us that we should follow him. And that's what Peter is saying to these servants, to these slaves. Verse 23, back in 1 Peter 3, or 2, When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Remember, Jesus was silent until Pilate said, Don't you understand that I have the power of life and death over you? And Jesus' response was was not one of retaliation or trying to justify himself. It was clarification of truth. It's like, oh, you don't understand. This isn't my kingdom. My kingdom isn't here. Instead, what did Jesus do? He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. We have a tendency to be willing to do the right thing if we know the good thing is going to happen. We have a tendency to be willing to submit if we know that the bad guys are going to get it in the end. Now, Scripture does say, leave room for God's justice and vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. But what does it say Jesus' attitude was here? Jesus' attitude was, I trust my Father with my soul. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And here Peter reminds us of our place in Isaiah 53. By the way, just for fun, um, I told you there are two places that Peter sets up a God-man relationship. The other one is the one we just walked into there. Jesus is a shepherd and overseer of our souls. At the end of 1 Peter, in chapter 5, he is going to say to the elders, you need to shepherd the flock as overseers. And then he says to the young men, you need to submit yourself to the shepherds and the overseers. So he sets up another God-man relationship, and we as fallen humans hate both of them. Okay, I want to make a point here. We are not slaves. Because we've just moved through this text, right? I think we understand the text. We understand what the author Peter is saying. He is telling these slaves that they must bear up silently under persecution on the, at the hands of their masters. 
If they are punished for doing what is right, so be it. They are to stand and uh, bear up under that without fighting back. The slave had no legal recourse. We have a tendency in the American preaching pulpit to say, and now this is exactly like employees and employers. We are not slaves, and we do not have masters. This passage does not cut and paste to our experience. That does not mean that there aren't principles and instruction in it for us. Um, So, let's get to some what-ifs. I'm going to ask three questions, and then I'm going to... um, give you my understanding based on the text of those. Whenever we move to a what if that doesn't have 100% transferable in the application, like this one, uh, we have to implement wisdom. There are no cookie cutter answers to the questions that you're asking right now. Every single one of you is in there, yeah, but he doesn't know about my situation, and my situation, da 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 And you're right, I don't know every situation, but I've thought through a few of them, and I think I know what God would say, and that's what I'm going to give to you next, but I want to remind you that our responses to the if questions need to be um, rooted in Scripture. We need to be like the tree that is planted by the waters of of Psalm 1, and we have to be seeking God's wisdom. All too often, in the answers to our what ifs, to the questions you're thinking of right now, we respond in the flesh. We don't get to do that. So let's respond in the spirit. So uh, if you're being persecuted at work, let's start with an easy one. If you're being persecuted at work, what do you do? Peter, the transferable application would be that you don't get to retaliate, slander, gossip, or mock. And you can't do it online either. If you're being persecuted at work, you you may not retaliate, slander, gossip, or mock, and you can't do it online either. But you may leave. This passage is not saying that you must stay in that. It was saying that to the slaves because they had no legal recourse to be able to move out of it. A slave had to be in that relationship, so they had to respond in that way. You may leave, but if you stay, I believe you have to bear it. If you will not leave your work when there is injustice and persecution, you have chosen, in a sense, to enter this same sort of relationship. You are willingly putting yourself in a servant-master relationship, and you don't get to go to work and cause trouble every day because of the injustice of the manager or employer. If you're going to stay, you have to bear it. You have to bear up under it, like Jesus. Why? Because you're conscious of God. Not because you want the money. Not because you want the promotion. 
Not because you like the security and, hey, I've got a mortgage payment to make. I need this money. I think Peter would say, we stay, and if we're going to stay, we bear up under it because we are conscious of God. We are conscious of some things that Kip has said over the last few weeks, that life is short. That our time on earth, though it feels long, is brief. It's a vapor. We can stay and be conscious of God because he is a judge of our souls. We understand who we are and who he is and what relationship we have. We stay because, as he's going to say next week, we may win them without a word. In the group that I'm part of on Thursday nights, we had, for several weeks, we were praying for the persecuted church. And in every prayer, we would pray that the persecutors would see the righteous actions of the persecuted head and come to know Jesus. My natural response is to say, burn them to the ground. And God may do that someday, but we should not take joy in that. We should pity those who have such a broken view of truth. My wife reminded me that Corey Tenboom's sister, when they were being persecuted, prayed for the Nazis. Because she understood the judgment that they were bringing upon themselves. We need to live for the line. Remember that? We live for the line, not the dot. We're in the dot right now. It's short. If you're being persecuted at school, you may not retaliate, slander, gossip, or mock, including online. You may not be able to leave. I don't know the situation that you're going to find yourself in school, whether that is um, as a, um, a youth or as a college student. You may not be able to leave, and if that's the case, you must bear up under it like Jesus going to the cross. Uh, you're free, and I think you ought to tell your parents. Let them guide you in wisdom on that. If you're being persecuted at family gatherings, you may be the only Christian in your group. If you're being persecuted at family gatherings, you may not retaliate, slander, gossip, or mock. And not online either. but you are free to not attend the family gathering. Our words matter. How we talk affects how we think. Um, in some of my discussions with uh, friends about this, and with, with my wife, who's also a friend, um, I was using the phrase, we just have to take it, and was meeting really strong opposition to that. Uh, and my wife was thinking about it, and she came to me yesterday, and she says, I think I figured it out. I think I figured out why I'm having such trouble with, like, when your wife's having trouble with your sermon, 
you're in trouble. <laughs> so we were just talking and processing, and, um, and she said, it's because of the phrase that you're using. The phrase that you're using is stirring up thoughts and feelings um, and making us think. So the phrase, just take it, suggests that we are victims, that we are weak, that we are prey. And friends, if we are being persecuted for doing what is right, we are not weak. We are not operating from a position of weakness. We are operating from a position of strength. And so I've changed, I've changed the phrase this morning. You haven't heard me say, just take it. You've heard me say, we need to bear up under it because of Jesus. And those words tell us the truth about the situation. That we are emulating the Son, the creator and sustainer of everything, who walking to the cross refused to mock, slander, attack, gossip, and, a, and not online either. Jesus was in no way weak. When we submit to Jesus with those authorities who are mistreating us, when we submit to Jesus, when we bear up under it because of Jesus, we are acknowledging his kingship in our life. And we are saying with him, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. Jesus, hanging on the cross, says those words. And he doesn't mean they don't understand that they're doing evil. He means they don't understand what their evil is really doing. They don't understand the brokenness of their relationship before God, and they don't understand the consequences that they're bringing upon themselves. And if they did, they would not have done it. If they could have seen that they were allying themselves with satanic energy, they would have not have proceeded. But their thinking was darkened. It was broken. It was crooked. When we submit to Jesus, we acknowledge the upside-down nature of the kingdom, that the least shall become first that the first or last. We can say with him, I don't know how this will end, but I trust you. Reminder, Peter is addressing personal, individualized persecution in a setting with no recourse. Remember that? When we read scripture, we have to understand what it's saying, to whom it's speaking, and don't willy-nilly apply it to us. So Peter is addressing personal, individualized persecution in a setting with no recourse. Peter lived it out. By the way, is Peter just a, a sissy? He's just kind of a pansy who's a milquetoast sort of man, and, you know, so he's saying, well, you got to just be really passive. Peter made his living with rough hands and a burly chest and some of the most dangerous work that you could do in the ancient Near East as a fisherman. And when the high priest came to get Jesus, 
Peter took out his sword and attacked. Peter believed in his right to carry. Amen. Now, he was a terrible shot. And in the garden, he failed again, saying, oh, that's not me. But he lived it out in acts, being thrown into jail, refusing to stop preaching. He didn't try to say, you guys are wrong. Uh, I'm going to fight you. I'm going to go to a higher power. He just said, you tell me, is it, which, is, which is better, for me to obey you or obey God? Paul also lived it out. In the jail of Philippi, he didn't try to break out. He sang praises with Silas. Paul fled when he could. When the Jews were coming to get him and the church leaders found out about it, they were like, get in this basket. We'll lower you over the wall. He's like, okay. He fled more than once. And Acts doesn't critique him for that. He spoke up for others. The passage indicates that the slaves aren't allowed to defend themselves, but it doesn't say they're not allowed to defend others. And we see that Paul did that. In the case of Onesimus, he wrote a letter to Philemon saying, I'm sending him back. You have all the rights in the world to deal with him as you see fit. Here's my suggestion. Accept him as a brother. Jesus, too, obviously defended others. We can and should do that, I would say, based on those examples, for others. But for ourselves, we bear it up as Christ did going to the cross. We need to remember Tiberius' sermon. Remember the, the first week that he spoke? If you didn't hear that or you haven't heard it in a while, it's probably worth listening to again because he grew up in persecution. Um, Jesus promised us persecution. Peter is giving us a theology of suffering. In America, we hate suffering. Well, I bet if you're watching from a different country, let me know, do you like suffering? But we will go to any length to avoid the, su the suffering. We will pay money, we will give up freedoms, you name it, we're going to do it. Don't want to suffer. But Jesus promised us persecution, and he told us how to handle it. Take no thought when you're brought before the magistrate, because the Spirit's going to give you the words to say. Um, in Matthew 5, you don't need to turn there, I'm just going to read it to you. Jesus said, blessed are those who persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus lived it as, a, as an example and a sacrifice. First Peter 4, I'm going to go ahead and apparently I'm preaching this passage much later so I'm stealing my own thunder which is okay because you will have forgotten 4.12 and following says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Would you hear that? Rejoice. So that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. 
we need to remind ourselves of the very beginning, 1 Peter 1, 3. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept not on earth, in heaven for you. We need to remember our end. Our end is inheritance with Jesus. These things need to set our perspective. We need a theology of suffering that sees it for what it is, a mysterious good that the Son himself walked through on our behalf. And we think somehow we shouldn't have to do it. Now what? Two answers, pray and practice. Let's unpack them. Pray. First, we need to ask God for help in persecution. If you're being persecuted, I do not give you any trite or glib or easy answers. It starts with prayer. It continues with talking with people who understand Christ, who know him, who can give you wise counsel. But it must include 1 Peter. Pray and ask God for help in persecution. Pray and ask God to break our enculturation. I was talking with someone... He's like, oh, that just doesn't sit well with me. And I said, that's because you're an American. So am I. Love my country. Bleed red, white, and blue. But I know what it's done to me, or I think I know what it's done to me. It has told me that it's my way or the highway, that my significance, my value is higher than anything else. It's told me that I shouldn't have to suffer. It's told me that I should be able to follow my dreams and great things are going to happen. We need to ask God to break our enculturation. Like C.S. Lewis says, if our religion is something objective, in other words, if our religion is true, if there's truth in it, then we must never avert our eyes from those elements in it which seem puzzling or repellent. You might be sitting here and saying, there's no way I'm going to submit under persecution for the Lord's sake. Mm -mm. C.S. Lewis would put his arm around you and say, hmm, I think you need to look at this again. Because when we see something that is clearly stated in scripture and we react negatively to it, that's the point at which we need to grow. For it will be precisely the puzzling or the repellent which conceals what we do not yet know and need to know. We need to pray and ask God to give us wisdom. He wants to give it. James makes that clear. We need to practice. We need to practice building disciplines that will help us. Um, I don't remember her name, but there was a woman who came. You, who was the, the woman that came and did the, told us that our sermons or our songs, we were going to need them that week? Uh, Nikki. Nikki. Nikki came, and she led worship one Sunday. It was awesome. And she said, we sing these songs because you're going to need them this week. We don't sing songs up here because, well, we got to get ready for the sermon. Let's get warmed up. We don't sing them because we like to sing. We sing them because they are helping us bring in truth in a different way than you're going to have it when I speak or someone else speaks. 
and because we need to remember those things in the coming week. And so we need to practice. We need to practice disciplines that will build us up. Um, I mentioned that group that I'm part of on Thursdays. And on Thursdays, we go through and we think about and we practice the six disciplines that you see on the right-hand side of the screen. And we don't have a sermon, we just discuss the week's previous sermon. Um, we memorize doctrine. Because you have to take truth in if you're going to know truth. We behold the glory of God. We behold aspects of his character um, and we think about them so that we are thinking about the good and the true and the noble. We sing songs. We give thanks. It resets our broken thinking when we give thanks. We pray about things that scripture tells us to pray about and then we memorize scripture. These are the sorts of disciplines that we need to be building in our lives. You can come to Thursday night and be a part of that if you want but you can find it in your life group. You can find it with your family. You just need to find places that you are doing this and that support you and build you and remind you to do it. Um, Pastor Tim said that we need to be finding communities that care about us thriving spiritually. So you need to find that if you don't have it. Practice those disciplines that will help you because if you don't practice them now, when persecution really comes, we're not gonna be ready. And then practice. Obey Jesus in easy mode. You will go through some persecution. And I know you will. And if you haven't, you will. I've been through some. It's, and I, you know, when I was talking with friends about this, because I was like, it's small P, small P persecution. It was, e it was the stuff that was relatively easy compared to what you see in scripture and other places around the world. But when you encounter it now, Practice bearing up under it on behalf of Jesus. Let's practice now while it's easy. Let's grow our muscles that will help us if we ever enter large P persecution. And even if our generation, my generation, never sees it, uh, we need to be training the next generation on how to endure it. Because what human history teaches us is it will always come. We just don't know when. So we need to be preparing for it. And the best way that we do that is by focusing on Jesus. We're going to listen to um, a song called Run Like Heaven. And um, I think you guys will move to it, right? It's by Salah. So we'll listen to that, and then I'll come back up and dismiss us. Surrounded by this cloud of saints who live their lives and died by faith, keep running for the that's sure to come And when the run is all but done With your weary feet becoming numb Look to the ones who have walked the road before The saints of old whose lives have called you to endure And here's one Yeah. 
Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would empower us to live like your son, who did not defend himself on the way to the cross, but rather walked forward, seeing the joy on the other side and trusting you, his good father. Pray that you would help us to do the same, even when we don't understand the end, even when we don't understand the purpose, to trust, if necessary, simply in the fact that you've told us to do it, and that in some way it will make us more like your son. So in his name we pray, amen.